Hello, I'm Paul Bristow and I'm working with the Scottish Communities Climate Action Network to find and share stories of community-led climate action. As we live through and continue to cope with the ongoing pandemic, there's been lots of talk around a new normal. For the first time, many of us have started to question what was so normal about how we lived before anyway. And there's an increased interest in the space where climate action meets social justice, a green and just recovery, universal basic income, ideas once out in the fringes, maybe finding their time. The next few months and years, we'll see a battle to frame and tell that story, to make those changes. We need to take this opportunity to show how what we've seen in these last few months can help us imagine better and continue to make the case for action on the climate emergency. And so I want to learn more. Sometimes it maybe feels like everyone's just ploughing their own furrow, out in a limb, just getting on with it. But the collective effort across the country is remarkable. So over the next few months, I'm speaking to people and communities across Scotland to hear their stories of climate action, of hope and change. From big changes to small steps. I want to hear it all. And then together, we can look beyond the new normal to something better. Back in September, with the support of funding from Ecolise to celebrate the European Day of Sustainable Communities, SCAN ran a number of one-day workshops, helping people look at how we tell and share stories. The idea was that over a course of a day on Zoom, people would write, shape, share and record a short three to five minute story about their climate activism, community project, something that inspires them to create change. Everyone involved was sent a wee lapel microphone to record their story in their own home. A few even chose to go outside and record in nature. Today's episode features six of the stories created during the sessions. There's stories about projects, but there's also personal reflections, fables and poetry, as I was really keen for people to share their story in a way that felt most natural to them. And after all, it's by sharing stories in new ways that will maybe reach different audiences. Our first story is by Mark James. I work in the community garden. I cycle to work and have my toolkit with me. There is a diverse bunch of folk who use the garden. Some of them use bikes. I use my skills, knowledge and enthusiasm to encourage other people to cycle. I love cycling. I've been a keen cyclist since the age of 10 when I got a new bike for my grandparents. I recently fixed the same model of bike, a Rally 20. As I test rode the bike, I was impressed that I rode it to school. It was a pig to ride. And it certainly wasn't as cool as the 10-speed races my friends owned. However, I had worked out that I could lie in an, an extra 10 minutes if I cycled rather than walked. I realised how much money I could save using bike as transport. Now there are of course additional reasons for choosing a bicycle for getting around, but economy remains a major incentive for many. I've lent people a bike to try out cycling. I fix their bikes when they've been crashed. I try and show people how to maintain their own bikes. When I ran classes in basic bike maintenance, most of the attendees were women. I've taught bikeability and also one-to-one. One particular woman that gave me great satisfaction was called Alice, who was very unconfident. She had a number of lessons, 
and a few years later I saw her with a folding bike she took on the train into Edinburgh and used it as part of her commute to Victoria Quay. I like to try and help people make cycling the most comfortable it can be. I've stopped people that have had their forks the wrong way around. I've offered the use of a track pump to make it easier to inflate their tyres, stressing how much easier it is to cycle with tyres at the correct pressure. I often say, try putting your saddle up. Your knees will thank you. H.G. Wells allegedly said, when I see an adult on a bicycle, I do not despair for the future of the human race. With Covid leading to reduced levels of traffic and more and more people riding their bikes, it is imperative that the momentum continues. With government backing, both central and local, there is a great opportunity for more people to cycle more often and more safely. It is my very personal response to the climate crisis. I plan to make an application to fund a more formal cycling project. Despite being a big fan of HG Wells, I'm embarrassed to say that I never learned to ride a bike. When I shared this with the group, Mark, instead of being horrified, very kindly pointed me in the direction of some organisations near me that could help out. Still deciding whether or not to put recycled BMX on my Christmas list for this year, though. Our next story is a beautiful river fable from Lynn Dunahy. The river was born in the hills and ran west for a bit, then turned south towards the wide water. And since the great ice moved back and folk came exploring, it had been a friend to people. It gave food, salmon and brown trout and other beasts that came to drink, though sometimes folk had to share with the herring and the lynx when there were hungry mouths to feed. It carried their coracles faster than they could cut tracks through the wild wood down to the sacred meeting place beyond. Much later, the river people learned new things. Hunting and food gathering along the river bank gave way to settled living. Grain could be grown from saved seeds, harvested, ground and baked. Fibres could be spun and woven, and as time and the river continued to flow, its power drove works undreamt of by the folk from time long past. Mills were built of stone with great wooden wheels that turned with the river's power, and the strong ones who led the building grew rich as the grain became bread. The grain growers drained the land by the river for their farms. They tamed and straightened its loops, and the river grew shorter. At shallow places, cattle crossed with their herders, travelling to gather and bargain and barter and wrangle. More gatherings meant more food, and so more slops and smells entered the river. But the river was easy with this. It had ways to make filth useful and clean again. Coracles were no use now to carry all the stuff that people needed, and the river with its weirs and eddies could not take bigger crafts. The engine had arrived, and teams of navvies cut a channel, a canal, to run alongside the Kelvin. For now the river had a name, 
and as industries burgeoned and some grew richer, the river flowed on and carried bleaches from paperworks, slurry from farmland and sewage from homes and streets as people prospered and their animals multiplied. So, for a time, the river lost its heart. The nymphs and waterflies that fed the fish that brought the herons had perished. But change always comes, and the coal fields with smoke and soot gave way to new industries, to cleaner fuels, away from the river, and the waters began to heal. A cormorant was spotted, which meant that fish were back, and a group of local people got together to plan because the river that had been a friend for time beyond time now needed friends of its own. And I heard about them, and it started with a quarrel, but that's another story. And I found that I liked the people who had made friends with the river, and they became my friends, and that is why I came today. There's a nice bond that develops during a storytelling session. And one of the best parts of the day is when we all share our story in the story circle and everyone shares their positive thoughts on what we've heard. It's a quietly powerful thing for some folks to realise that the story they know and they've maybe heard themselves tell in their own head loads of times can impact on other people, can be heard. We've heard from our next storyteller before, Rosie Harrison who spoke to us about the East Linton Repair Café. Rosie's now collecting and sharing stories herself. On the training days, I think everyone could relate to the honesty of Rosie's tale. I'm the project officer for Repair Café East Linton. Part of our project is for eight people in the community to be trained as carbon conversation facilitators and go on to deliver carbon conversations to local community groups. The aim of Carbon Conversations is to help people reduce their household carbon footprint and for group members to support each other in doing this. Our training was supposed to be delivered over one weekend, but because of COVID-19 and lockdown, it was instead delivered over four Saturdays on Zoom. This all sounds very methodical, part of an efficient programme, a plan of action. I was ready to be shown slides about how to reduce our consumption, how and why to travel less, how to insulate our homes efficiently. And this was what we got, but it wasn't all. Within the first hour of the first day of training, we were asked, how do you feel about the climate crisis? This was not what I had signed up for at all, and I felt threatened and defensive and suddenly massively emotional, angry that I was being put on the spot. I didn't know anyone in the group closely, and some of them I didn't know at all, and that question felt like a punch in the guts. I'm here taking part in this training so we can facilitate community groups in how to reduce their carbon footprint. I don't want to share my feelings. Something happened in that first hour as we went around the group taking turns to answer this question. How do you feel about the climate crisis? Tears, anger, hopelessness, despair. That intense first hour shifted something. Seeing that screen of anxious faces looking back at me, mirroring my own anxiety and fears. I wanted to run away from all of it and all of them. Getting all this emotion mixed up in a carbon conversation facilitated training session. What's going on? What is this about? What is it for? There was little discussion between the eight of us between the four Saturdays. Thoughts and emotions free to drift and become beyond apocalyptic or back to keeping the heating down. Then back on the next Saturday to have it all succinctly tied up. 
quickly going around the group, telling each other how we've been, checking in, as they call it, in these kinds of group circles. I tried to keep my responses concise and within the remit, as that was all that time and training structure would allow, and then out again from Zoom screen into the world for the rest of the week. More news of climate crises, pandemics, species extinction, crop failures, wildfires. The course finished and it never returned over the four meetings, thank goodness to the intensity of that first hour. We have now officially been trained in the art of carbon conversation facilitator training. It feels good to have been formally equipped with these skills, a range of practical activities to deliver in the community. The infinitely more powerful thing to have come from that experience is the feeling of closeness to those other people. I may or may not come to know them better, but I know that they feel the same as I do, that I feel the same as they do, about what is happening to the world. It is that knowledge, that appreciation that there are people like them, like us, everywhere, trying to do what we can in our own way that gives me hope. I hated the course. I was out of my comfort zone. I wouldn't want to repeat the experience. But it made me appreciate that you sometimes do have to break down barriers within yourself to be able to function more effectively. There's no need to keep up the struggle to always have a thin veneer of fine. Best delete it, smash it down, let it all out. See what you're left with and then, together with people who feel the same, start building from the honest core. Also useful to keep your heating down, wear an extra jumper and only fill the kettle for one cup if you're just making tea for yourself. During story training days, I often speak about ways to create an emotional connection and being honest and displaying a level of vulnerability that you're comfortable with is one way to do that. To courage in a session about climate stories to talk about how terrified those stories can make you feel. And Rosie's story was all the better for that honesty. Next, we have a beautiful piece of work by Kathleen Gray, combining a love of language and nature. I grew up in the northeast of Scotland speaking the regional accent Doric, which is my natural voice of expression. This poem is basically optimistic about how nature will, pre will prevail despite the stupid, senseless things us humans do to this world. The title is The Herst, which means harvest. The Herst. The eagle fleeing through the cludes has not a name for the air around it except bra, gallus, smedum. And the rubbit, Curran Dune, flagged by the shadow of Beanet, has not a name for the grun except girs, when, hame. The trout swimming in the burn has not a name for water except bonny, beloved, hoose. And the puddock in the soft dubs has not a name for his snug nuke, ah, douce and dewy. The hare, can o'er the hill, has not a name for the wind fussling past, the sky to rain duddling off its coat, and the fox eyeing up the hare, has not a name for the peaty reek o earth, the fierce coarse right rhythm o his heart as he sets off at a canter. The owl rowan boos its heed wi its greeting reed berries, and the heather its roots a bosy hudden the earth together. Fit use is there o daft names for grun and sky that belongs to Ninawas. The morn and the day after, the salmon will swim, craws will thieve, and a wee spider will spin its web, regardless o us gernan glaikit gouts. Regardless of us, how wonderful is that? 
We've spoken our days about the challenge of the climate narrative and how scared and helpless that can make some people and therefore why it's important in our stories to celebrate nature and life as well. This next story from David Hughes does just that. I find myself lost in a glen in the southern uplands. Picture the scene. Steep sides carved out by glaciers eons ago. Craggy cliff tops loom over the glen, casting dramatic shadows below. A crystal clear river weaves its way through the valley, singing its own story as it tumbles and falls over rocks. Only this valley is pretty unique. Compared to the vast, lifeless, denuded glens that enchant so many people to visit Scotland, this place is teeming with life. I am surrounded by trees. Rowan and Hawthorn, limbs heavy with bright red berries, reach over the path offering me their fruit. Hazel, straight, tall and proud branches, burst with this year's crop of nuts. Aspen leaves flutter in the breeze whispering ripples and shimmers to their brothers and sisters down the valley. And not only am I with the trees, I also share this space with the other-than-human beings that the trees support. Birds sing and hop between branches, squirrels enjoy the hazelnuts, and hundreds of moths dance in the afternoon light with the sweet smell of honeysuckle floating in the breeze. The ground too is busy with beetles and bees on the surface. Beneath my feet I know there is much more going on hidden from view. Trees are a wee bit like people. We're both carbon-based life forms, mostly made up of water. Our goal in life is to grow up, compete for resources, reproduce and die. But we're also complex. We're also unique. We have our own stories and our own individuality. We are both relational beings. We thrive when supported by others and we struggle on our own. The Borders Forest Trust started this planting project in Carifrin around 20 years ago. The aim was to bring nature back to a place in Scotland that has long felt the impact of humans. The Carifrin Valley now supports thousands of native trees, unique lichen, insects, ground flora and fauna. It really is a beautiful place to be. A place of hope for the future. A glimpse of what could be if we learned to rekindle our damaged relationship with the Mother Earth. This is the work of rewilding. Sitting on a rock in the valley, surrounded by other living things, I start to wonder why. Why don't we value our planet's natural resources? Why do we place so much value on consumerism? Why is connection to nature not seen as an absolute essential part of our lives? Why is it just a hobby? Why is it niche? Why is it nerdy or hippie or alternative to seek a life in service to the earth? Trees do it, and they're pretty damn cool too. Imagine living a life taking only what you need and giving so much in return. Oxygen, berries, fruit, seeds, nuts, shelter and warmth. Imagine living a life in service to others. There are old forgotten stories in our bones. There's a wildness in us yearning to break free. I think it's time to plant some trees in our own souls, root ourselves back to the earth and rediscover what we have lost. We'll finish with another fable. This time, 
from Christine Thompson. And this story certainly speaks to me about reflection, age and maybe even the year that this has been. Granny? Yes, pet? She looks up at me as we walk, her pockets full of pine cones and tree treasures. Tell me again about your special tree. Once upon a time, there was a tree who stood proud and tall, high on a hill, looking out over Edinburgh. He had been there for many years, watching others grow up beside him and seeing many changes in the land below him. Seasons came and went. Spring, summer, autumn, winter. Until one spring, everything became very different. Instead of the clamour of traffic rising from the street below, all he could hear was birdsong. He knew all the birds that were there, of course, the chaffinches, the wood pigeons, the young ravens who always seemed to be having a fight, and occasionally even a woodpecker. But now their song was everywhere. He waited. The woman didn't know she was looking for him. She thought she was just going for a walk, choosing a different path away from others. More difficult, certainly, but would it be worth it? She rounded the corner, picked her way through the brambles and the gorse and ducked under one of his branches. She gazed at him for a while, then climbed onto his lowest bough. She sighed as she settled her back against his solid trunk. He felt her sadness and confusion as she spoke softly of her worries, feeling his rough bark beneath her fingers. She came the next day, and the next, then every day to visit him. Sometimes sad, sometimes happy, sometimes angry, sometimes scared. He liked her. His buds unfolded slowly into wide leaves and soon the woman was almost hidden when she rested in his branches. That delighted her, he could tell. Gradually she began to sing to him. Songs she loved to sing. Songs about the earth and the trees and the birds. He liked these songs and how they made the woman happy. Oh, round Mother Earth, bring her into birth, sweet creatress of the night and day. Bring your spirit through, rest our thoughts in you, guide our feet, in the natural way. Spring became summer. Slowly the bird song was once again interrupted by the traffic noise. Planes once again droned across the skies. But still the woman came. Not every day, but now and then, picking her way through the brambles and the gorse and the nettles to sit in his branches and sing. One day, she told him, 
she will bring other singing friends to meet him. For the moment, though, the fine old sycamore tree will stand proud and tall, high on a hill, waiting for the next song. Whether it's from the woman or from the birds, he doesn't really mind. Running Story Sessions is always a gift. Seeing and hearing people take time out to, to really explore what matters to them, to step outside of a usual day and flex that hardwired creativity that we all have is just a simple joy. And I'm a big believer that telling a story that connects with people is not always about telling a big world-changing story, it's just about telling us a story that changed you. And if you think that's something you might like to try, then keep an eye on our newsletter for session dates for 2021. We'd like to thank our funders at Ecolise for their support during the European Day of Sustainable Communities. And a special thank you to everyone who came along to our sessions in September and to the storytellers who agreed to share their story with us. Mark James, Lynn Dunnachy, Rosie Harrison, Kathleen Gray, David Hughes and Christine Thompson. Thanks for listening to A Thousand Better Stories from the Scottish Community's Climate Action Network. Our final episode of 2020 is our winter special, full of folklore and fun from mid-December. If there's something happening in your community, be sure to let us know. You can drop me a line at stories at scottishcommunitiescan.org.uk. We're on Twitter as well, at scottccan, and on Facebook. Just search for Scottish Communities Climate Action Network.